Hello and welcome again to Voices in Innovation from GigaOM. I am your host, Johnny Baldisberger, and today I have with me Ned Bellavance, joining me once again to talk about uh, edge infrastructure and specifically this time to talk about his report, uh, which just came out last week, a key criteria for evaluating edge co-location. Hi, Ned. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Johnny? I am excellent. It is a gorgeous day here, uh, and I'm just kind of looking forward to hopefully a beautiful uh, weekend. Um, so I've, I've been reading over your report, and as we sort of revealed last time, uh, Edge is emerging. It's mm-hmm. a newer technology. In fact, you start out this report mentioning that many people remain uncertain about what the Edge is. And I felt like that might be a little jab at me from <laughs> our earlier <laughs> no, no. conversations. No, no, it's it's actually one of those things. Every time I take a briefing from a new vendor, they start out with defining what the edge is for me. And part of that is confusion in the marketplace. And part of that is because they want to put their own spin on what edge is. I think the confusion in the marketplace is starting to go away a little bit it's starting to become more refined and people have a better concept of what edge is, but just like cloud, it encompasses so many different things that there are, you actually have to create subcategories within edge for different locations and different use cases. So that's something that I've been reading up on and also arguing with people about where to draw these lines of delineation and how to think about the edge stack. It has been really interesting and the LF Edge, which is the Linux Foundation Edge focused working group has come up with an updated version of how to think about the Edge and they've broken it broadly into two separate categories. One is the user Edge, which is dedicated and to individual clients usually and operated by those clients. So that could be anything from a manufacturing line. It could be autonomous vehicles. It could be your smartphone. That's the user edge. And then we've got the service provider edge, which is kind of more cloud-like in the sense that it's a shared environment with multiple tenants. And it's usually owned and operated by a provider offering you something as a service. And so those are like the broad two categories. And then there's a big line of delineation between stuff that's after the last mile of networking and stuff that is above the last mile of networking, things that are more cloud-like and more data center-like versus things that are after that last mile and actually out at the edge, like your smartphone, like a gateway device, uh, those types of things that have a more restricted footprint and restricted resources. So that's, if I can you know, just paint a broad picture of Edge, that's probably the easiest way to think about it. And then we can dive into how this report fits into the larger Edge conversation. Absolutely. It, one thing I want to mention is in the key criteria reports, we've started including a primer. Uh, and when I, when I first looked at it, I was like, well, the people buying these reports are surely at least familiar with And I stopped myself because no matter how well-versed on technology you are, no matter how close to uh, the pulse you are, you can't catch everything. 
mm-hmm. uh, tech and IT is moving at such an incredible rate. And uh, there's so much of it, such a broad spectrum of technology that you, you can't catch everything. <laughs> so right. uh, in fact, uh, unique to your primer for this report, you also include uh, a, a link to a glossary uh, from the <laughs> Linux Foundation Edge, the LF Edge, uh, because they ha- they establish common terminology because there's so many people trying to put their two cents in and uh, define exactly what the edge is. Right. And traditionally in most technologies, a lot of that terminology would be defined either by a standards body or by individual vendors and their implementation. And that just becomes the de facto thing, the tissues of the edge, if you will. (laughs) We call them Kleenex, right? But Kleenex is not the actual term for it, but because the vendor became so prevalent, we call tissues Kleenex. So similar sort of situation with a lot of technologies. Because of that, LF Edge kind of got out in front of that. And even though they're not a formal standards body, they were able from an open source and multi-vendor perspective to try to start nailing down some of these terms before a specific vendor ran away with them and made them the de facto. So I think that's, it's a better approach and I'm very appreciative of what they've done. They've done some of the heavy lifting and hard thinking for us. And the, the reason why there's a context at the beginning of these key criteria reports, especially with emerging technologies, is not only are we trying to prime the person reading the report about the technology in general, we also want to be specific at that point in time how we're thinking about that technology because just the edge technologies and the terminology for them by themselves has been evolving over the last few years. So the current version that's available on LF Edge, uh, their website, just got updated in June. (laughs) You know, we're in June it literally just got updated with some new models and new terminology. So you need that primer in that context for reading the report to make sure that the contents of the report sync up to a definition of the time. And and speaking of definitions, um, there's a section I'm looking at right now saying relating edge infrastructure to edge location. Uh, And you go into the various locations and uh, places that edge technology exists and how it relates to one another. Could you give for the listeners just a very brief definition of what edge co-location is? Yeah, sure. So when I first started working in the edge space, there was a concept of edge infrastructure, which would be kind of right right up against that last mile before you're going to the devices that are living at the user edge. And at the time, the term being used was infrastructure edge. Now that's morphed a little bit, but it was basically me, for my terminology, I split it into three broad categories. There was the physical site that is providing power, networking, and cooling, and space for you to put hardware in there. And that is edge co-location. That's what we're talking about. And then there will be providers or a space above that where someone is providing the physical equipment and probably a hypervisor or something similar to run on top of that. And that's a core system. And then above that, there's going to be a layer that helps you deploy your applications. And so that's a platform layer or platform systems that sit above that. But to, to break it all down, 
we want to start at the, at the bottom here with uh, you need a physical location where you can actually host this stuff. And that's what edge co-location providers are all about. You go into a lot of different uh, aspects. Because this is the key criteria report, we cover table stakes, key criteria, and emerging technology. Mm -hmm. uh, on top of this, you're currently working on the radar uh, companion report for this, which will go into the actual vendors and the marketplace uh, to let people know what's going on. But uh, I was a little surprised when I was reading through the various categories um, because it's me, I have to say, one of the table stakes is security in depth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's always uh, something I'm a stickler for is security and privacy. Um, one thing I noticed that remote support is in table stakes. Right. Uh, meaning... It could mean one of two things. So there is remote hands-on support. When you think about edge co-location facilities, especially smaller ones, what, what could be termed as the access edge, and we'll get into that terminology in, in a moment. But when you think about these smaller facilities, they're generally either gonna be unmanned or staffed by like one person. So in order for you as the person who's consuming resources or has your servers deployed at that location, you're not gonna have a person there. You're gonna need remote hands of some kind to do things. And especially if it's an unmanned facility, you're gonna want some level of remote support that's able to do something remotely without even having a person there, whether it's powering on and controlling the power to a rack, controlling the cooling to a specific rack, being able to report out network percentages, being able to reroute networking without having someone physically swapping cables, that's all gonna be really important because the cost of rolling someone out there to do it is gonna be relatively high. And it, there's gonna be a significant delay there because it's gonna take however long it takes to wake that person up, get them to drive out to the location, get them to get into the location, which like you said, security is really important. So a lot of these vendors have five layers of security that that person has to get through before they can even get to whatever your problem is because there's going to be security at the at the front gate there's going to be security for the facility itself and then there's probably going to be security applied at the rack or even the cabinet level inside a rack so the person has to get through all of that just to swap a cable or something that's a lot so you really want robust remote support that does not necessarily require someone to lay hands on devices because of that disconnect or the lack of people at the facility all the time. Relating to that, um, on emerging technology, you have uh, all the, I usually try to leave some mystery because really <laughs> as much as, as much information as we try to get into these, these 30 minute uh, interviews, there's a lot you're not getting. You really need to actually read the report. Uh, you have 5G, 5G wireless, public mm -hmm. cloud edge, and remote work. Now, 5G wireless is kind of just the direction we're going. Uh, right. Uh, so I feel like that's that's almost an emerging that should be an emerging technology for almost anything we talk about right now. <laughs> um, yeah. The 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 two I'm a little more murky on is public cloud edge and remote work. I, I would feel that those would be more 
uh, in existence, more uh, part of the everyday already. Is that not the case? It's not. There is a certain amount of public cloud already out, public cloud already at the edge when you talk about content delivery networks. So you think of Akamai or Cloudflare. So they are already out there and they have some level of programmability. I know Cloudflare supports Wasm workers at the edge, which is basically WebAssembly framework programs running at their edge locations. So that's you know kind of edge, but recently, Microsoft with Azure and Azure Stack Edge, and then AWS with their local zones and their outposts, they are looking to move into the edge in a big way. And they're not necessarily going to go out and buy and run their own mini data centers across the country or across the world. It works when it's a really big data center. So Microsoft does buy and manage their own Azure data centers across the world. And AWS does a little bit of a mix of running their own and also renting space from others. But when you get down to this micro data center level, that it makes more sense to maybe have someone else provide the location and you just provide the gear. With that in mind, you can see the way that AWS and Azure have already exploded across the scene and you also have Google with their Anthos product, they're going to want to be running this stuff in all of these edge co-location centers, especially in major metropolitan areas. And because of that, I think you're gonna see a massive increase in the growth of these edge co-location facilities. And they're gonna to have to plan to have the capacity not only for these major public cloud providers, but for other applications that roll along that want space. And that space is gonna be very limited and it may drive up the price a bit if these cloud vendors really start adopting it, you know, in force. The second one was remote work. And I think if anything, the recent COVID-19 pandemic, it's really changed the way that people are using networks right now. Instead of everybody going to one office that had pretty good connectivity, probably had some MPLS networking or maybe just a couple big broadband connections that were doing like software defined networking out to other things. Now instead you've got this pattern of all these people needing access to resources and they're all using a VPN and that's slow and it's not very effective. So that has shown that we need to shift our traffic patterns to using something like distributed VPNs and more software-defined networking and SD-WAN tech technologies. And we also need these edge data centers to cache stuff locally, or at least assist with running virtual desktops or something similar to, to that. Even after the pandemic ends, there's a really good chance that a portion of these workers are never gonna go back to working in the office 100%. There will be people who do it, but I think what we're gonna see is people who are maybe working from home one day a week or not at all, are now gonna be working from home two or three days a week because they've realized how beneficial it is to the work they try to get done. So just because we had this initial spike, people were a little like, should we really build out for this? Because I don't know how long this is gonna last. Well, it's already lasted three months, at least around here. And even after it calms down, say a year from now, I think the usage patterns have probably changed permanently. And so we need to accommodate that in the ways that we provide networking and compute. And I think edge co-location facilities are going to pay, uh, are going to play a part in that migration. 
so you've mentioned in the last few minutes uh, access and regional. Could you maybe spend a couple of minutes telling me about the difference between those two aspects of uh, edge co-location and uh, edge infrastructure? Sure, sure. And it was funny because as I was talking to more vendors and building sort of a mental model of what's happening in edge co-location, I kept coming across like basically two different approaches. You had traditional data center operators. So think of Equinix or Digital Realty, uh, an organization like that, that their bread and butter is these massive data centers, you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet. That's what they tended to focus on. But they have a lot of those data centers across the world and in many cases in major metropolitan areas. So they could repurpose those data centers or just add in technologies and features in those data centers to accommodate what people are looking to do from the edge. At the same time, you have these scrappier vendors who are doing edge co-location in much smaller environments. So instead of 10,000 square feet, think 1,000 square feet or 2,000 square feet. So a much, much smaller facility, a lot less power, a lot less cooling, but maybe they're trying to put 10 sites in a region or 10 sites in a metropolitan area to have that all of those sites operate almost as if it's one big virtual data center, but distributed. So you had these two different approaches and I didn't have good terminology for it. And I was trying to come up with a few and I juggled a few around and then LF Edge came to the rescue because their newest thing is they have broken things in the world of service provider edge into access edge and regional edge. And the definition is access edge is service-based compute at telco, network, and edge exchange sites, which is basically that scrappy, we're gonna have a bunch of sites, but they're all gonna be smaller and more constrained. And then the regional data centers are server-based compute at regional telco and direct peering sites. So that would be like your Equinix and your digital realty and other big internet exchange points. So you really had this I was, I was seeing it, but I didn't have a term for it. And I am glad to know that other people were seeing it too. And they gave me terms to use. So when we're talking about access edge, it is that smaller constrained environment. It's still traditional 19 inch racks. It still has the power and the cooling and access to really fast networks, but it's going to be a smaller facility. Whereas you have the regional edge, which is probably going to be one of these bigger data centers that has less constraints around power cooling and probably has people on site 24 by 7 because it is more that traditional data center. And you see partnerships emerging between vendors that focus on access and vendors that focus on regional because they're realizing that some edge solutions are going to need both or just access or just regional for now. And they want to have a partnership there where they can work together to offer that complete solution for people who need it. So I was, I was excited to see that that terminology existed and it mapped to the mental map that I already had in my mind, just didn't have names for. Uh, you mentioned that certain solutions need access, certain solutions need regional. Um, can you give us some use cases on, on what would cause that different differentiation? <laughs> sure. So I think when it comes to applications that want that access edge, it's all about network latency especially for something that is moving through an area. So think an autonomous vehicle or a sea of sensors or something like that. The 
latency is the most critical, critical component of it. And the more sites you have, the lower the latency is going to be, especially as that object moves. You can get sub-millisecond latency connections to these access edge networks. And that is going to be super important for very specific applications. Other applications are less worried about the network latency. And what they're more concerned with is network exchange. So these internet exchange points where it can rapidly get to one of the public clouds. And they're also might be looking for a little more rack space, a little more robustness when it comes to power because they might wanna have bigger machines to do the processing. So if you think about something that's going to be running machine learning, let's say, and you wanna train your models, but for whatever reason you can't use Microsoft Azure or AWS or Google, to do that, it needs to be on-prem for security reasons or compliance, whatever it is. You can drop these big, almost high-performance compute clusters in one of these regional data centers because they have the capacity for it. And they also can give you like a locked private cage area in their data center to do all that. But you're still close enough to where that data is being generated that you don't have to worry about bandwidth constraints and you can you know, train your model as you need to. So that's one potential application, but I think there's gonna be a lot more. And given the level of flexibility that you have with regional, it's going to fit a certain set of use cases that some of which we don't even know what they are yet. Whereas the lower flexibility, but also the lower latency and the more distributed nature of access edge is gonna lend itself to others. So I think like it is early days. So there's not as many use cases that people know of, but once you give the people the tools to do things, what they construct is going to be amazing. So that's, we're kind of waiting for that big wave of innovation that happens now that these resources are available. Just the other day, I spoke to Chris Grundeman uh, specifically about uh, the way that gaming can often lead the charge on technology development. Um, that and adult entertainment uh, tend to be <laughs> huge deciders in the way, especially the internet grows. And uh, mm -hmm. the specific examples we had at the time were uh, VHS versus uh, DVD or HDVD versus uh, uh, Blu-ray. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with gaming, VR versus AR. Um, because I think... I think a lot of people would agree that AR has a lot of incredible real world application possibility, but VR is better for gaming and that's what's really growing by leaps and bounds right now. Um, <laughs> I've mentioned all this because you do mention uh, gaming in your report, specifically mm -hmm. uh, Hatch, which is using a uh, edge computing center in order to let people uh, do local multiplayer game from cheaper devices. And it mm -hmm. sounds very similar to what Google was trying to do with Stadia. Oh, or yes. is trying to do, pardon me. <laughs> um, right. So I guess, are, do you think that this is going to be a similar case where uh, gaming is really going to have a heavy hand in the development of edge technology and, and what's happening? Or do you think this is more of an offshoot? I think it's definitely going to have a significant impact in at least some of the technologies that get developed. Google Stadia is one of the problems that it has is they're relying on Google data centers, which are not everywhere. And 
we get back to that latency issue. <laughs> so, you know, part of it's dependent on what networking the user edge has. So you do need sufficient broadband, but the other half of that equation is how close are you to a Google data center? Now, if Google can expand that reach out to a whole bunch of access edge locations and just drop some Google Stadia gear in each of those access edge locations, now that latency is a lot lower and every person's much closer to that access edge and they can rely on the compute that exists there to make sure their game runs smoothly. Google sometimes gets ahead of themselves in what the technology is actually capable of versus the vision. And that's fine. Like, I appreciate that they're trying to innovate. And in the process of doing so, other people can see where maybe things aren't ready yet and jump into that opportunity. Because where every problem exists, there's also an opportunity to solve it. And yes, there's other gaming companies that are trying to do similar things. It's just a matter of you need all these locations available and you need to put your gear in these locations and run it. And that's probably the, the next big challenge beyond just having the physical co-location sites there. It's having the services available for people to consume because not every company is going to want to roll servers out to a hundred or a thousand different locations. They might just want to rent that capacity from somebody else. So I think that gets into the probably the last thing that we can talk about today <laughs> before I run horribly over, which is the idea that the people consuming edge co-location are probably largely going to be service providers of some kind. So offering something as a service to other consumers, whether it's a business to business relationship where you are rolling out the bare metal servers and putting a hypervisor on it and then wrapping it up in a nice management UI and offering that as a service to others. Uh, for instance, Packet would be an example of that. So Packet offers bare metal servers as a service. And basically you log in and you say, I want to provision a bare metal server in Texas, go. And it does exactly that. And you tell it, I want it to be running Windows 2016 and it makes sure that that image is installed and gives you a public IP address and away you go. That's the sort of thing that someone could build a business off of renting that bare metal and then building a edge business off of that. So that's like one version of the service. You could go a little further up the stack and not only not offer the bare metal, but instead offer something like Kubernetes as a service, or even just application deployment as a service. We'll run your web application, or we will run your WASM application, or whatever you want at the edge of all these different locations. And that could be another use case where the relationship is offering it as a service to other businesses. And then Lastly, you could have a situation where you're actually offering services to customers. So that would be the example of the gaming company that is now offering gaming services out of all these edge co-locations, but they might be using a service underneath that is providing the bare metal, which is using the edge co-location service below that. So it's, it's gonna be this tangled web of relationships, but I think for the most part, the people looking to consume the edge co-location facilities are either gonna be enterprises and industry where they need to put that bare metal there or service providers that want to offer something business to business or business to customer. I don't think it's gonna be a whole lot of you and me throwing some servers in some edge locations just for funsies. <laughs> it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You never know, you never know what I'll, what I'll end up doing just for funsies. <laughs> uh, Ned, thank you so much, this is fascinating. and. It's really exciting because I feel like the, the possibilities for the edge are 
dang near endless. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, where can people follow you? I know you do a YouTube series. Um, I do. And I think you're also active on, on Twitter. Let us know where we can find you. Sure, sure. So it's uh, on Twitter, I'm Ned1313. So I'm very easy to find there. Uh, if you go to YouTube, my YouTube channel is Ned in the Cloud. And I do a daily live stream that's 10 minutes long. And Thursdays are Thursdays on the edge. So every Thursday I do something edge related. And I also have a playlist set up with all of the previous videos. So you can go there, you know, like, subscribe, do all that good stuff and just watch some interesting content about what's going on at the edge. Ned on the edge sounds like your extreme skateboarding show, which (laughs) I would also be very interested in uh, checking out. Uh, Guys, I highly recommend you read these reports. Like we've mentioned, this is emerging technology. This is in fact the edge of tech. Uh, Edge is the edge, it turns out. Um, And if you want to, you can go to gigaohm.com. You can buy this one report or you can subscribe to our reports. Get access not only to this and the GigaOM radar, but a whole slew of reports on various aspects of IT and technology from a whole slew of amazing analysts. You'll really get the full force of future forward advice on IT and tech. So I highly recommend you do that. For GigaOM, I'm Johnny Baltusberger. And this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.